Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. So I can read starting at verse 19 if you'd like. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I'm reading, I think tonight is the New American Standard Version. So starting at 19, I'll go through 29. Uh, just go through 23 because there's a there's some stuff here. Okay, all right, sounds good. So 19, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So this is, this is, I mean, this is a challenging passage in a lot of ways, but let's start with the easy part. The easy part is verse 21, when Jesus says, as the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. This That's is what we call the great commission for in the gospel of John. Right. You know, in, in Matthew, it's, you know, go and make disciples of all the nations. Well, here, this is um, John's version of it. As the Father have sent me, I'm sending you. Um, so. Yeah, and it's it's an echo. He was actually saying that in the high priestly prayer in John 17. It's very similar. Just as Father, as you have sent me, I'm sending them. It's a very strong echo of what he said before he uh, went to the cross. And now after he comes back, says the same thing, right? As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So and, and we I, see that that goes what he just did with Mary. He said, "Mary, stop cleaning me. I'm sending you." And she goes right. So, and we see the um, it's very clear in verse 19 that the doors were locked, and then yes. Jesus. So, you guys think that's a miracle, or do you think that our resurrected bodies can walk through doors? Our resurrected bodies have different physical properties than our current bodies. Different physical properties than this world. So you think about the way, remember the uh, C.S. Lewis and the Great Divorce, the way he describes it, that the uh, like the resurrected bodies have more, they're more solid. In other words, you think Jesus walks through a wall because he's like a ghost, like a vapor, but it's the other way around. To him, the, the wall is like a vapor, that uh, the, the resurrected glorified bodies are far more solid than and, and everything here. All this material world just looks like a vapor by comparison. Anyway, that's... That is pretty cool. <laughs> so well, in a sense, we'll be more real... And I do right. think this is true. I think this is true. We will be more our true selves than we've ever been in, you know, on earth. We will be our best selves. Yes. And my best self will be six feet tall, I keep saying. <laughs> <laughs> With six pack abs. <laughs> I'd settle for some hair. <laughs> <laughs> let's be let's all be realistic about this. Well, I, I think it's it's um interesting that um when he says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's a promise of the Holy Spirit. 
And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Because they, you know, the, the, the church is built upon the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the foundation of the apostles and prophets, right? So they had the apostolic word. But it doesn't mean that they have special dispensation to forgive sins on their own. What I think it means is they present the gospel. And if people repent and are forgiven, you know, it's the Lord, the Lord who forgives sins, right? And, and I know that's a theological dilemma with some faiths and some churches and so on, is that they, you know, they, they, they can say, te absolvo, and people are forgiven. But I, 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 to me, it means you're going to be able to be my witnesses, like all the other passages, go out and be my witnesses in the world. And I'll be with you to the end. But it's, you know, it's, it goes back to John 14. You know, he, he is, or 15 rather, I'm sorry. He is, he's the vine. We are the branches. Yeah. We can, we can do nothing without him. So it, this isn't a, a, another dispensation of some anointing that people have. This is presenting the gospel. And just like we talked about yesterday, the gospel, and you guys talked about it last week with, with uh, Dr. Bob, the gospel, not only for salvation, the gospel throughout our entire Christian life. And I think that's what he's saying. At least that's, that's what right. I get out of it. Right. Well, some people some people struggle with when he says receive the Holy Spirit because wasn't wasn't the Holy Spirit coming in Pentecost? So like what there's some confusing thoughts on on what exactly he's he's meaning here, but I think it's it's um I think they were going to receive the spirit in its fullness at Pentecost, but there was some sort of uh special knowledge they were you know Jesus was giving uh, giving the disciples at this time, um, maybe it's the, the you know the knowledge of just of the resurrection and uh, empowering them with the gospel, like you said, and definitely you know they didn't have the power to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. So, but they were authorized to declare sins forgiven based on whether or not people responded to the gospel. And I think that's what you were saying, Lou. What's interesting too is that when you, if you look at Timothy, where it talks about every word of God is breathed out, and here we have the Spirit being breathed out because the Spirit and the Word agree, so it's being breathed out. It's all from God, it's from Jesus, giving the Spirit, giving the promise of the Holy Spirit here in the fullness at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is given, and you know when, when he says before in John, he says. The Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you, you know, and I think he had to go. This is my, you know, I'm not sure I I would die on this hill, but to me, it's he had to complete the work of salvation. Then the Holy Spirit comes, just like you said, Greg, before. And that's when they're infilled with the Holy Spirit after he completes the work of salvation and leaves. He ascends up into heaven in Acts 2, and then the Holy Spirit comes in fullness and they're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'd love to see commentaries on this because I'm not sure, maybe when he says receive the Holy Spirit, I hear those words, I think he is at that moment breathing the Holy Spirit on, they were giving the Holy Spirit, because it, well, it says right here, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, as if that's the action, but maybe it's more of an imperative command where he says, 
I want you to receive the Holy Spirit when I send him at the day of Pentecost, when he had tongues of fire in your head. I mean, so it's a command to say, you, you need to receive the Holy Spirit when he comes and he's going to come to you in a very short time. Um, but this is, this is not the action where he actually says it, but I don't know. And so let us see what have come to say, no, here was kind of a down payment on the Holy Spirit. There's a little bit of the Holy Spirit and is more fulsome somehow at Pentecost. I, uh, I don't know. Yeah, there are there are definitely some different views about that. Um, um, a, a, a lot of it, um, yeah. I think I think I think you articulated one of those pretty well. That um, that they were just getting uh, like a down payment of of uh, he was preparing them for Pentecost. Okay, um, but they they at the same time they were getting some sort of uh, special ministry of the spirit at that time, yeah. you know, to be able to receive the, the, the mission, you know, to, you know, so that they could be sent to preach the good news. And, uh, and then he can say, Hey, you'll be able to tell whether people's sins are forgiven or not based on if they respond to the, the good news of, about me. So that, makes sense. that makes sense to me. I think you, that, that principle, you interpret scripture in light of scripture. But um, so like verse 23 seems to make sense to me if they say, if they say, look, when you see people, you're going to denounce the gospel to them to show them how they could, their sins can be forgiven. But only to the blood of Jesus Christ is forgiving sins. Right. It's not their action. They say, if I wave my hand, I can forgive the sins. But I think I think this verse 23 is a doctrine that's uh, is the basis for a doctrine that in some traditions is called the office of the keys or the office of the keys of the kingdom, where the church was basically for a long time said salvation is only through the church and you can only be saved of the church so if we declare you if you can let you in the church then you'll be saved and if we kick you out of the church you can't be saved because salvation can only be found through the church which i think from parts of christian history was was what the what, what the church believed but I, I i i think the clear gospel is i don't think that's the clear gospel the clear gospel is like the salvation is only through the blood of christ and i think the better way to read this in, in light of interpreting it in light of the rest of scripture is if I say to you, I, Greg, I can announce the grace of God to you. I can bring the grace of God, explain the grace of God to you. And you have you accept the grace of God through the blood of Jesus, saving you from your sins. But it's not the power of Jim to, to, to forgive your sins or not forgive your sins, right? Anyway, that's for that's sure. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. Well, let's, let's continue on. What's interesting is when all this happened, Thomas wasn't even there. Um, he was missing. So now we we have the story of Thomas. Jim, could you continue on uh, verses twenty four to let's just go twenty four to twenty nine? Yeah, sure, okay. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, "We have seen the Lord." But he said to them, "Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe." After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, and see my hands, and reach here your hand, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. 
Yeah. So very familiar story. Um, and it makes you think about how many people, when we share the good news of Jesus with them, will say something like, well, unless I see God working in my life, I'm not going to believe in him. Yeah. You know, I have to, I have to see it. God has to do some sort of sign or some, some sort of miracle for me to believe in him. Right. And so I think that, you know, the scripture gives us the, gives us th Thomas, like you're, you're not the only one, like right. <laughs> there's, there's other people like you out there. But well, what's interesting is even scientists believe many things that they can neither see nor touch, you know, yes. but, um, you know, so what, what are you guys, what are you guys' thoughts on this? I just, a couple of things I just, and then I see what you guys think, but God doesn't zap Thomas. He doesn't come in the room and say, all right, you out of here. <laughs> you know, how dare you doubt my want a kingdom of people that don't doubt me. Right. And like, it's so gracious. It meets him right where he's at. I think it helps skeptics everywhere. I just think it helps people that are literalists and skeptics. And people are saying like, I need concrete evidence. They look at Thomas and say, God had, Jesus had so much grace to him to say, I know exactly where your doubts are. I know exactly what you're thinking and it's okay. Come here, put your finger right here, put your hand right here and believe. And, and again, the point of, you know, the book, whole book of John is these things are written that you may believe, right? And so it goes to Thomas saying, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. You still have to have faith. You still have to believe. Even when the concrete evidence is right in front of you, you still have to take that step and believe. And uh, Thomas does. And then Thomas gives the best, I think the best testimony in all scripture. So he, he should remember for this more than his doubts, right? My Lord and my God, right there, clear as crystal, the deity of Christ. So anyway, yeah. that's my quick initial thoughts. Lou, I don't know if, what what you were thinking. I, I think that's the first time in scripture in, in the New Testament that that's after, you know, that definite a statement, my Lord and my God like that. I, I, I think it's tremendous. Um, I'm going to defend Thomas a little bit right here. I'm going to say that, uh, put myself in his place, right? He comes and he sees the other disciples and apostles who were so frightened. They had run away. They had abandoned the Lord. And now they're telling him Jesus is alive because Thomas said before, remember in chapter 11, let's go with him and we'll die with him. All right. So he was committed. Thomas was out there. He was committed. You know, I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap about being the doubter. So he, th these guys who all ran away and were afraid, now they're telling him we saw the Lord. Well, Thomas is saying, okay, you guys, you know, you all ran away. I was ready to die with him in chapter 11. So unless I see him, you know, I'm not going to believe you. I want to see him. And when he sees him, he doesn't put his hands in his, in his, uh, he doesn't do that. He falls on his face, I think, and says, my Lord, and my God. Mm. So I like that. I like the strength there. And plus, I think my understanding is that Thomas went to, I'm, I, I'm, I may be wrong on this. I, you know, wouldn't be the first time. Uh, I think he went to India and, and did a lot of good missionary work in India and died a martyr's death, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, he was a very strong Christian. He's, he's known as the doubter. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is, and I think if you if you look at all the different disciples and apostles, they all have like different type personalities. Some of them are really hard chargers. Some of them are much more, you know, intellectual, emotional. You know, John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. 
And so God is showing us the whole, whole spectrum of all the different personalities and how he reaches everybody so beautifully. And he, he can do that. And, it, and it's, it's just fascinating to me how he can do that and how he has that great broad appeal but he knows just how, just where you live. You know what I mean? He knows exactly what makes you tick and he can get to you. And you're the only one in the whole world. You know, that's the feeling you have. It's only me and God. That's how intimate and loving he is. That's I, I think that's great. I think Thomas appreciates you uh, standing <laughs> up for him um, because you're right. People like Thomas and Peter, Peter's another one. A lot of people think there's going to be a long line outside his house in heaven of, of pastors apologizing to him because they threw him under the bus when he was the one who he took a sword. He took a sword with him into the garden and he, he actually used it. He wasn't a good swordsman, but uh, thank God he wasn't a good swordsman because if, and if Jesus hadn't healed that healed that guy that he cut his ear off, there might have been four crosses on that, you know, on that next day. Because Peter, that was a capital offense, would have cost him his life. But so Peter was willing to lay down his life for the Lord. Um, he he thought that he would never deny the Lord, and it turns out that God knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. And I think that's true with each one of us as well. But I like what you shared there about Thomas. Thomas is a yeah, and I, church tradition says that he did go to India and had a tremendous uh, uh, ministry there. Um, so, um, but I love I, just the whole the whole idea of these post-resurrection appearances. Jesus doesn't rebuke anybody. Like if you think about it, he could have been he could have been like, guys, I've been telling you for years that I was going to that I was going to have to die and raise again, but you guys didn't you don't see any rebuke yeah isn't that kind of interesting you just all you see is grace all you see is acceptance and um and boy isn't that the gospel that's why it's the best news ever you know so you're right that's a great point he could he could have said oh what am I going to do with you guys? You know, I kept telling you, you know, you still, you never did get it, did you? And he, he doesn't do any of that. It's all filled with grace. And I mean, I he just... could have responded to the disciples the way he responded to the Pharisees, like, yeah. you know, um, very much in their, in their face. Like, what were, what are you guys thinking? Why were you running? Why did, why did you abandon me? Right. Right. You, know? you all abandoned me. You all scattered. Just like I said, you would, you did. Right. Yeah. But he doesn't do that. Right. It, it's filled with grace. I, I just want to amplify one thing, Lou, you were saying about, the different personalities because thomas is the skeptic he's not he's the uh he's incredulous right he wants proof and then you have nathaniel when jesus says i saw what you did under the fig tree jesus says my okay my lord he follows him he's like you know mr gullible and i and thomas probably would at that it would have rolled his eyes said oh you believe anything you know but but it just it does show you that the whole spectrum of humanity like god god meets all of us where we are mary's filled with emotion the other disciples they run back to their houses right they're we're all different and and going back to the when he says Mary, that one word, it's just that's completely emblematic of the point you're making. He meets each one of us exactly where we are, calls us by name, knows who we are, meets us where we are. Just yeah. great. Can you read verses 30 and 31, the last two verses? Yeah. Lou, hey, Lou, you, do you have it in front of you? You want to close this out? Sure. Now, Jesus did many signs, many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written 
so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. There it is. Yeah, yeah that's the purpose. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, um, I mean, it, it, I think when we get to heaven, I hope one of the things that we get to see is all the other signs and hear the stories from all the other people. Because, I mean, just think about that. I mean, there's some great, great stories in here. And this has been the same throughout the millennia, right? There's, you know, these, the word, the canon has been sufficient. These stories have been sufficient for everybody that's ever been saved. It's ever, ever been, ever lived since Jesus, since the canon was completed, since Jesus went to heaven. These are all sufficient. And that's what I like to think about too, is that, you know, when you, when you talk to people about God being just, well, if God's just, he has to have a standard. And if he has a standard, because otherwise, how would we know what his, what's just and what's not? Because, you know, unless he reveals it to us, right? And it's the same standard that applied in the 8th century, 9th century, and now we're in the 21st century. So everybody's going to be judged by the same standard, and this is the word of God. And it makes perfect sense. And that's that's how we know, one of the, one of the ways we know that God is just is he's given us the standard that we'll, we'll be judged upon, and this is it. Mm. yeah and the standard that we're judging is did you believe right these things are right. really need to believe right so if you believe and then you have life in his name yeah, there's one thing I, i'd like to share that that's just uh really uh, it, it it's very simple but i think for me at least it's very profound and i was thinking about this today and, and it's that jesus is doing very well okay he's in heaven reigning now, interceding for us, the Holy Spirit's interceding for us, and he's doing very well at it, better than we can imagine, right? Because he's still working. And because he's doing so well, we can do well. Now, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I never thought of it that way. And I know it sounds kind of simplistic, but it just makes perfect sense to me is and, and 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 I almost want to and I, I, I almost want to I'm a little embarrassed to say this but it's almost like I want to say good job lord <laughs> you're doing a great job <laughs> oh, I don't yeah. know if that makes you sense to you guys or not great. but you, you but, absolutely but, can do that what's that I said you absolutely can do that through praise and worship tell him he's doing a great job right he's doing a great job he's doing the best job possible that's a that's a really interesting interesting thought um i also am interested in knowing what the other signs and and you know the all this stuff that was not written down but i have a theory about these two verses i feel like when john wrote these two verses he probably went to bed and then he thought perfect ending of my book i i ended i ended the this is the perfect ending you know but then he either you know, kept thinking about like I, but I didn't, I didn't talk about what happened to Peter. Like the last time Peter was mentioned, he was denying Jesus. I didn't tell the end story of Peter. And so he woke up the next morning and he's like, I got to add one more chapter. Like he thought he had the perfect ending 
And then he had to add another chapter. I don't like, I have no idea. It's all the inspired word of God. I believe that a hundred percent it was meant to be, but doesn't it seem like this is like the perfect ending to his book right here? These last well, two verses. It seems like if he had a word processor at the time, he would have taken those paragraphs, cut and paste them to the end of chapter 21. I agree with you. <laughs> right, right. It is a nice little capstone endpoint. Like it is beautiful. It's perfect. It's a great way to wrap up. He probably was writing longhand on a scroll and said, oh, shoot, there's one more thing. And he <laughs> had to keep going. So but it's all it's all inspired. It's all good. But I, I do. It does sound like kind of the way you'd end the book. I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about final thoughts. Any any final thoughts? Anything you, you want to share with uh, people that might be listening to this podcast? Lou, I'll go first. Uh, my final thought is Christianity is very rational. If you think about it, it's the most rational worldview. It makes the most sense because we know we didn't come from nothing. If there ever was nothing, there always will be nothing. And if you look at you know, God, I mean, all the other faiths or religions or whatever you want to call them, it's all about following rules and what we can do. And Jim said this beautifully in, in a couple of times late, lately when he's taught all the things that we can do to make justify ourselves. And you even said, you know, that's the default, Greg, is self-justification, right? Whereas Christianity, it's what God did for us because we couldn't do it and if you know we all want to serve a god if we're honest if we're intellectually honest with ourselves we all want to serve a god that's how we're made that's how we're wired that's how we're created right that's what our hearts do and a lot of times we don't even realize that but we all want to love we have loves we all have loves and to think that if we want to serve a god wouldn't you want to serve a god that served you that came into humanity himself and died and suffered for you kind of love what, what could there be any greater love that God could have done other than what he's done for us and I, I just think that if it, somebody is thinking about that it, it, it you know it's the smartest wisest decision you could ever make amen Jim how about you Oh, amen, Lou. Amen and amen. I mean, Greg and I always talk in this podcast, we're just astonished that people don't take the offer. Because the, if you don't take the offer, you're, you're, you're left with, you're abandoned to self-justification. Because it's, it, and, and Greg, I think the phrase you say that is the default setting of the human heart is self-justification. Because everyone has to justify their life. Everyone has to say, how do I know my life has meaning? How do I know my life is worthwhile? How do I know I lived a good life? And even somebody who doesn't believe in any religion at all will say, well, see, I, I've done, I've been a good father. I, I was on the right side of this cause. And I did, and they'll want to tell you, but I did all these things like, because we have to justify ourselves and the burden of justifying ourselves, carrying your own cross is crushing. And God has this offer, this incredible offer. These things are written that you may believe. And by believing you may have life in his name, just take it, just take the offer, right? It's so sweet. And we're always astonished that people are like, no, 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 I'd rather justify myself. Uh, I, I, I um, it, it's, uh, it's just, it's just astonishing to me, but I, I had a, Greg, you go ahead and next, I, I really kind of more lighthearted way I wanted to end. Okay. Well, my thinking is, you know, the fact that Jesus is alive today means that he's able to save people today. So anybody that's listening, if you don't know, um, about your future, 
you know, Jesus is there and you can just cry out to him. The resurrection not only is not only a fundamental part of the gospel, it's the glue that holds every other part of the gospel together. You know, without it, Christians believe in vain and live without hope. But since Christ has risen from the grave, we have hope of forgiveness, justification, and eternal life in Christ. That's that's what I want to share. Amen. That's probably a good way to end. I just had one other thought to tack on the end. You can delete it from the podcast later if you want to. It's from, it's from John 21, which I know you did last time. It's about where uh, uh, Jesus is uh, making breakfast for them and he's making it on a charcoal fire. And it's because for years, I always have a grill in the back and I'm, you guys, maybe you're like this too. And I'm grilling for the family on a gas grill, propane tank, gas grill. And a couple of years ago, I switched to a uh, kind of cooker that is all charcoal. And so I'm always now, always, always cooking and smoking and meats and everything I'm doing is all on charcoal, real charcoal. And it's so real. And I'm when I'm there with the real coals and they're glowing coals, I always think of this verse in John 21 and Jesus making the charcoal fire. And he likes a connection to the fire. And I think about it. And then spiritually, you may have mentioned this in your podcast last time. There's charcoal fires mentioned twice in scripture. It's in yes. here. You probably said, talked about this, right? Oh, go, so, go for it. Well, it was also when Peter denied Christ, there was a charcoal fire. It was warming stuff on a charcoal fire. So Jesus makes a charcoal fire and the smells bring the, 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 uh, smell such a strong uh, sense for a sensory, uh, um, uh, uh, strong, such a strong sense for human beings that brings back memories. And Peter would have smelled the charcoal fire. Remembered, oh, that's the last time I smelled that was when I denied Christ. Every time. So strong connection with charcoal fire. I think of that every time I'm out there grilling on my real charcoal, staring in the fire. said, he say, even Jesus loved real charcoal. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.